Welcome to Crew. This week, we've Misty in Berlin, and Elle has come back to join us. Hello. Hi. And joining us from London today is Effie. Today, we're going to be talking about STIs and not STDs and not venereal diseases or however people used to call them. But we're going to be talking about that part of our sexual lives, which a lot of people do not like talking about. And we just even five minutes ago, we were talking about it. There's so much stigma and so much shame and so much everything else attached to this subject that we thought we should get into it and talk about how these things have affected us. And if you are listening to this podcast, I think we should all be asking ourselves, do you know your status? It's a question that comes up before people go to parties. If you're having sex with people or some partners or multiple partners, it's definitely something that you should know. And we can talk about it all we want, but from living in Berlin and in Germany, it's not so easy to get tested here. And we're going to get into it a little bit later about how easy or difficult it is in other places to get tested for men or for women or however you are presenting. But the first question, have any of you ever had to make that phone call? You know, Yeah, I do. I originally got a phone call from this guy. I was very excited. I hadn't heard from him for a while. He was calling to let me know that he thought he might have genital wart. Not the call I was hoping for. He told me he had what looked like a little vice thing. So before I even went to the doctors, I had just previously had my first threesome. I think I talked about it last week where I had the threesome, my first threesome with two guys. That really hot one with the balls on the head. Balls on heads are ringing bells. Sounds like a Christmas song. <laughs> I did go to the doctor, didn't look like I had it. And I thought I'd lost this guy for good. But then, I don't know, six months later, he hit me up again, the one that I had told. Uh, because there's always this fear, right, of them not wanting to see you again. I think with warts, you can't like get, you can only get tested if you have it, right? So like herpes, you can't just find that you have herpes in a general screening. You'd have to have mm-hmm. a sore that they would test. And then because it's a virus that will stay in your body, I think you can test for HPV. Oh, HPV is mm-hmm. human, human papillomavirus. And that one, they also, you get vaccinated now because that puts you at increased risk for cervical cancer. So there's that. Or at least in the UK and I think here maybe too, there's been a lot more like focus on that. Because I get tested a lot and only one time that the doctor has revealed to me about HPV. PV many, mm. many years ago. And I was like, what is that? And I looked it up and it's very, very common. Mm. Not many people know about it or talk about it, but I think it's a good comment. But only one one time ever that it's come up on, on a screening. So yeah. I think it is in your body and it just, when it's presented, it comes up. Like yeah. positive. I think that's That's it. like herpes. Mm-hmm. It would only be if you have an open sore. And the I, warts. There are, yeah. there are one or two other things that look like genital warts. So... They have to test if you actually have a symptom of it to see if it's that or something else. The other one actually isn't an STD. It's something else, but it can look quite similar. I think the one you're talking about, Frank, and I know because I think I had it, is the little warts that you get from children because children love to put their hands in their pants and Mm. on their noses and then Mm. they always want to hold your hand. And I think that that's that wart. That you're talking I think about it's just men in general want to put their hands on their pants and then hold your hands. <laughs> Never seen. Which way to show that some men are just a big kid. So maybe we can mm-hmm. just go through the most common STIs. I think they're probably the same yeah. for London, for the UK and Germany. There's the bacterial ones, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis. Probably got, chlamydia is the most common, but gonorrhea also. I've had gonorrhea and chlamydia several times. Gonorrhea also of the throat. There's a few strains of gonorrhea which are now resistant 
to most antibiotics. Yeah. So increasingly they use either like multiple ones or injections. That's the standard procedure now is is like a direct injection. This is the problem because of the UK procedure because there they gave me the shot without even, I didn't have a positive test. This may be a side, you know, a side effect that you just get these resistant ones then. Gonorrhea is interesting in that for gonorrhea of the throat, which is generally more common with men who have sex with men, but also increasingly with women. And it really doesn't always have symptoms, but the symptoms of it are just can be like a sore mm-hmm. throat, a cold. Nothing, it, yeah. It's not as vicious as it is in the genitalia. And it's something that they're also increasingly recommending women to get the test, but women have been more hesitant in the, pa- in the past because they thought, oh, well, I, I can't have that. My I've throat. been refused it. And I'm, yeah. I've had to argue with the doctor and been like, no, I have had dicks like deep down there. You need to, <laughs> you need to get that swab down. <laughs> so especially in Germany, in the UK, I think the sexual health is miles ahead. There's, mm-hmm. you know, free clinics, clinics for sex workers. I've always felt super comfortable there. That's something we'll talk about a little bit more going forward. But in Germany, I've really had to argue and be like, no, you, you want to test me. And then the viral ones, which can't be dealt with with antibiotics, was we said are HPV and warts, herpes, HIV, and then all the hepatitis, A, B, and C that I think a lot of us are probably vaccinated for. That would be standard. Well, except hep C. Yeah. Hep C is tricky. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's more something for people who do certain types of play. But it's tricky yeah. because you normally don't get it unless you lose. I don't know. You use needles. Heps. No, there's other, there's other ways you can get hep C. It's pretty heavy. It would it would involve blood to blood. Yeah. Some kind of play. Mm-hmm. So it would be pretty, some fairly rough anal sex could be a reason to get it. But it doesn't mean one shouldn't get tested for it. Mm-hmm. I actually always test positive for hep C. And the doctors flip and then they call me or they say, hey, you have hep C. But there's a small minority of people, you get a false positive. Mm-hmm. So you have to go for a second test. But, but you then, get it all the time, the false positive. I just, I don't do the tests anymore because they call up and then they don't know. And they're like, <laughs> oh, and I'm like, oh, it's Hepsi. Oh, that that's fine. Like- and they're like, no, it really isn't fine. You need to go. And you're like, no, no, no. It's totally cool. It's happened before. It's a false positive. And, they, and I'm like, please, is there anything else in the but test? Are you no. sure? Because I feel like, the, you know, the consequences of, you know, I keep it. testing positive and now I just test testing. No, it's a 20 year story. You need to get a, I think it's a, you get a PCR and then it's fine. Can I ask a question about H, about hepatitis? Like, which is the one that you do like five you have to have like a course of vaccines for it? Def- definitely ask because yeah. because of my tribulations with the hep C positive tests. I had to find out a lot about hepatitis. Different doctors will tell you different things. So it's always best to ask. And mm. it's always, if you're unsure, get a booster. But hep A and hep B are quite rife. People used to just get vaccinated if they traveled in certain countries. Mm. But now they advise it in any large metropolis for people to get vaccinated against A and B because... They're just around. You can, you can get A from drinking a, a drink bottle from someone mm. who has it, who has something in their mouth. And B as well is quite easy transferable. Just C isn't. I would want to talk a little bit about herpes because we had a small conversation about this before that I think that's something that's still really stigmatized, even though it's super common, both genital herpes and oral herpes. I feel like oral herpes isn't that stigmatized, even though it can be the same virus. So there's HSV1 and HSV2. HSV1 is more associated with being on the mouth, but they pass. And that was actually how I got it, which I think I was maybe 21 or 22. And my boyfriend at the time went down on me and had a cold sore on his lip, which I didn't realize at the time. And then I had my final exams for university. I was in so much pain. I remember going into the toilet with like a bottle of water. I was like peeing in the break of my exams, peeing and pouring this water. Like it was so Because, wait, because it would burn so much? Yeah. 
And I was like, my life is over. I'm never going to have oh sex again. Like I'm going to have to, you know. And then yeah. I've been lucky. I haven't had many outbreaks. I know some people do. And you can take antivirals for that. Yeah, it's not something that in the long run really affected me that much. And when I got it, I did yeah. not knowing that much about it. I was uh, devastated. So it does, but like how bad are the symptoms? And also what's the difference I have to ask between um, herpes and warps actually? So herpes is a sore, like a cold sore. Yeah. And for me, which is common, the initial outbreak is really bad because that's the first time where some people might have cold sores from getting kissed as a child, you know, like on the mm -hmm. mouth. It probably also depends how much exposure your body has had to the virus. And for me, that could have been my first exposure. So it was really bad. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of sores like all over my vagina. But that's it's just focused on that area. Yeah. Like it sticks to there. Yeah. The it's plates. the mucus. It's the mucus membrane. That's why it would mm -hmm. be on the mouth. I think mm -hmm. you can also get it in the eye. And so that's where the sores form. And then it takes time for them to dry out and heal. And then your body typically gets the virus back under control. So then it's like hiding again. Yeah. Then after that, I've had like a, where I get like one sore, maybe in this is 15 years ago, maybe twice that's happened. So, right. I mean, it also depends. I think I probably had HSV one from the guy's mouth and that's usually less likely to have outbreaks but it's also when you're run down like with anything no I definitely know of a friend who always gets it when she's kind of stressed so for me well, any recurring symptoms have been really minor I completely relate with you because the same thing happened to me and this was in 2011 Halloween night I remember it so vividly because I was dressed up as Lady Gaga and I had someone go down on me and I thought everything was fine and then a week and a bit later I was in such excruciating pain And it started with pain and it was like this, it, it was so, so, so painful. And I went to the doctor and straight away she said, yeah, you've got herpes. And I was just like, you know, fuck, my life is over. And it was really, 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 really painful. I was crying a lot. I couldn't sit down. I could not sit down. Gosh. I thought I'm never going to have sex again. No one's going to want me. My life is over. And it was the same situation with the cold sore. And what happened was I called the guy who had gone down on me and I asked him, hey, did you have a cold sore? And he said, yeah, yeah, I had a little one. So he kind of knew, but. Having said that, like I had a boyfriend before that who always got cold sore and would go down on me and I would never get it. Congratulations. Uh, thank I think, you. <laughs> yeah. I think what's interesting is that both of you had said that your initial thought, like it happened a few years ago, but your initial thought was like, oh no, damn, shit, it's gone. And like, why did you think that? I, I presume it was because that's what you'd heard, that when you yeah. had this thing, it was the end of your sexual yeah. life. Or I think I thought I would have to like tell everyone before, which... I don't feel that I have to disclose. Maybe if I'm going to have unprotected sex, I would be like, oh, you know, I've had this in the past. No one who I've fucked, I don't think, has ever gotten it from that. Except for, funnily enough, the guy who gave it to me. I got it from his mouth. Then we were still uh, fucking. He got it on his dick. Thinking. So it's like coming full circle before we realize what was going on. But I think it's really this thing, which I also wanted to get into talking about. Herpes, obviously, much less. And HIV, maybe that's changed. Oh, that's definitely changed over time. But it's really this, because it's this virus that you always have, it's this sense that you're altered as a person. And because of especially stigma around, around sex specifically and how they're connected to forms of behavior that are seen as sexual deviance. There's this stigma, there's this conflation of disease and dirt that that was the fear, I guess, that I would have to tell everyone straight up before I had sex with them, I have herpes, like this disclosure moment, which again, don't think is necessary. And then that that would mean that, yeah, I wouldn't be able to like move freely among people anymore, that I would be marked out with this blistering sore. Mm -hmm. Blistering vagina. But doesn't this characterize all of these infections? I was going to yeah. say diseases because Effie, you corrected me again the other day. It's 
STIs, not STDs. Uh, sorry, I might have said disease. Yeah. No, I know because correct me, I'm, I say it still. They all seem to be characterized by this idea. There's moral categories. I think in British English anyway, it used to be VD, venereal mm. disease, which of course is a moral category. And I know I asked you at the start, Effie, have you made the call? At least one time I had to make the call where I didn't have a good experience. I just met someone I was in a relationship with and she didn't want to use condoms and it was monogamous, exclusive. So we said, so I said, okay, I'll get tested, but I, I don't have anything. So I got tested and of course I had chlamydia. And then I had to go back through a list of people I've been with previous month and a half because I had been tested before that. And the one person I got to, maybe it was a one night stand for them or they weren't very active, flipped out. Mm. Just didn't want to know about it. You gave this to me. Do you know what this is? Yeah. And yeah. she hadn't even been tested to confirm if she had it or not. As you guys know, these things can spread like wildfire for some reason. They don't spread mm. even with, with or without protection. And she lost it and didn't take it very well. And I think that is maybe more common amongst people who have these notions that these diseases... I actually think in hindsight from when the other nine people got tested that she'd given it to me. Could be. <laughs> so yeah. it's like this idea that yeah. everyone always assumes the other person's given well, it to them. Yeah, I find that a lot also with experience doing sex work that I've had people... I've called people in the big, oh, well, I should have known that this is what I get. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm the one who told you to get tested. Hate that. So that's... I've definitely experienced that. And I think one... I, I I don't know if you guys have ever read this AIDS and its metaphors. Susan Sontag, she wrote it in 1989 and she wrote it initially based on her experience as a cancer patient in the 70s because cancer actually used to be this kind of thing that was seen as this moral disease. It would be omitted from obituaries. She had cancer in the 70s and she talks about then how that turns into this stigma around AIDS and that there's always this disease that is this area where you can make metaphors. So AIDS, because it was associated with sex and then with IV drug use. So then it became this opportunity for metaphorizing. So it really defines like who is stigmatized, who is defined as outside of these of these boundaries of normative society. Uh, metaphors of being like inside or outside of society. Yeah. Virtuous or non-virtuous lifestyle. Yeah. And I think a lot of health is about that because I was thinking a lot about how health discourses have changed a lot over the last like I don't know, several hundred years. And a lot of it's about defining people either as these passive objects of regulation or as active agents in ensuring their own health, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where I've sometimes been, someone wants to frame me as like a vector for disease. And it's like, no, I actually can teach you. And I think that's something that sex mm -hmm. workers face a lot, that we're viewed as vectors of disease and contagion because of all of this. There's a long history behind it, which we can go into a little bit if you guys are interested of like syphilis and all of that in Berlin specifically. What well, syphilis um, is making a comeback, I believe at the moment as well. Mostly heard it from men, men who sex of men, friends of mine who are getting regularly tested and it's coming back. But the history of syphilis is just, it's astounding, no? Mm. In the 19th century, how it completely influenced culture, interest, yeah, morality, because it was something of a death sentence. There was yeah. certain phases and some people, they could live for so, so many years. How did this, the syphilis discourse, because I know Victorian Britain had very much informed the moral discourse. Mm. How did that work in Germany and Berlin? Was it similar to, the, to Britain? Yeah, there was mostly, obviously, women and sex workers who were policed as spreading of this disease. So actually the Zittenpolizei, the moral police, who were founded, I think in the early 1900s in Berlin. After, that was because Napoleon had this morality police for keeping his soldiers safe. So there's often this being these huge mobilizations of troops and then brothels and then these outbreaks of syphilis. And the women are seen as the ones to be controlled rather than obviously the soldiers. So Napoleon had this morality police for keeping his soldiers safe and then the Germans adopted that. So there was this morality police on the streets of Berlin who were controlling where women could live. Sex workers weren't allowed to go to like 
Tiergarten. There was all of these areas where the city was literally demarcated. This also applied to, to gay and trans peoples. A lot of this policing of where people could be in the city was actually around ideas of disease and contagion. What's the rationale behind it? I think it's these moral panics, which you see from syphilis mm. right up to COVID-19. Sex mm. workers were not oh, allowed yeah. to work during the COVID-19 pandemic because we are seen as vectors of disease, right? So mm. this this kind of thinking mm. continues. And there, you can trace the development of social hygiene, this this obsession with, with hygiene. Once people were understanding the way that infectious diseases passed, then this obsession with control, controlling who ha- who came into contact with who, so protecting the military, protecting the upper classes. Do you think there would have been a way, like during COVID, for example, there's an obvious rationale why it makes sense as a sex worker. You have close contact, you're in a room, whatever, there's enough to get COVID. So do you think there would have been a way of practicing, uh, I don't know, safely? Yeah, actually the sex work, you, what's it called, like syndicate, I don't know the word, the BESC. Was Swan? No, like a similar organization in Berlin published guidelines, like best guidelines on COVID practice. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, again, to what we were saying, I was seeing my sex working friends actually much more able to take in the information about COVID-19, make assessments of risk, make educated, informed decisions Mm -hmm. in this way that was much more, same with queer friends, because I think they're also always navigating these things Mm -hmm. in a way that was miles ahead of the general public. It's this thing that because of this, we're, we're actually experts in navigating disease and, or, sorry, infection, no, I how that. To, to manage these things rather than this moral panic approach of just no contact, which isn't realistic. Mm. Even if you go back to the 80s and you look back to the hysteria when mm. AIDS first came out, it was a very beautiful graveyard in Schöneberg, I forget the name of it. And that was the first graveyard that allowed people who died of AIDS to be buried. They were insisting before oh, wow. that, that wow. the bodies be cremated and graveyards didn't want to take the remains of these people and they said no you can be buried in this graveyard and I think that's something like the mid 80s in Berlin Mm -hmm. where this was accepted so there was this panic so maybe mm-hmm. similar to COVID. Yeah. But then there was also moral because mm-hmm. we said, oh, that's homosexuals, this debauched men, wild, insane. They're, that's their lives. You know, this mm. is almost a punishment for what they have. I think there yeah. was some similar echoes of this with the monkey pox yeah. uh, spread across Europe where some people were saying, oh, it's just gay people. And then other people were yeah. with them. That it's was just, super brief, right? I mean, I feel like I died out in a couple of yeah. weeks. Yeah, but it was really stressful for people who were, quote, who were sex workers or who were queer or who were gay. Like, yes, it was brief, but, but for us and for, for those people, it was really intense and very stressful. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it was really difficult for certain people to go and get the vaccine because they, maybe they didn't have a penis or they didn't have sex with bisexual men, but they mm. were sex workers. So, yeah, it was brief, thank God. And I wanted yeah. to mention also that about this misconception about sex workers and that they will more likely give you an STI when, in fact, it, well, I don't want to say in fact, usually they're the ones who get tested more. So... Right. Mm. They're more in tune with it and they get, yeah, they get, they have to get tested more often. And so therefore, oftentimes yeah. it's a safer option than meeting someone random on Tinder. Yeah, I think that's something that if you do know sex workers or you have a sexual encounter with sex workers, it's probably good to to keep in mind and to say. I remember someone said that to me once. I think the condom broke. And someone who wasn't mm. even particularly educated on these topics was just like, oh yeah, I was worried for a second. But then I realized if anyone is the expert on this stuff, then it's you. It was the one time and I've had the opposite said to me so many times. I think that's if you're listening, mm. something to take away and to, mm. if you're in that situation, to kind of get across. To come back to that time when I found 
burnout. I had chlamydia. I went to a, I went to my GP. There was another reason because I went for another test. So I went to my GP and she knew nothing about this. And she charged me actually. That was a shock. She got charged quite a lot of money for the test. I think it was like 150 euros, which was crazy. Well, it, it was in Berlin. Yeah, it was in Berlin cash. And oh. I just for those who don't live in Germany, you pay around 14% of your wages every month to health insurers. So, and it's not covered. Testing is and not covered. And it doesn't include sexual health care. Unless no, after, some... after the age of 26, I think before it's covered, except for the pill. And then after the age of 26, you have to cover yourself. If you're over and 26 and you have symptoms, they will cover it. But most doctors refuse to lie or wink and say, okay, this person has mm. symptoms. But that's something we can maybe touch on in a minute. To come back to what you're saying about yeah. sex workers being more tested, I think even in sex positive communities, a lot of people having a lot of sex in these communities do know their status and do get tested. And I think this is a huge problem for people who maybe think they aren't sexually active or they don't have a lot of partners. What my doctor was telling me at the time, they're the people carrying it. Mm. Chlamydia in particular, she mentioned chlamydia, not alone. She said, oh, chlamydia is actually, it's huge with teenagers. It's huge with in groups of people who don't get tested. Mm-hmm. And the reason mm-hmm. she knew this mm-hmm. was from people coming to her practice. She was also, an, she's an internal consultant and getting other tests and then finding out somehow through things that it was actually chlamydia. Mm-hmm. So she was convinced that more people should have been getting tested because if you have sex once or twice a year, some one light stands and you're going to think, well, I don't have anything. But of mm-hmm. course, it only takes yeah. months. And I and think this is a huge problem around the whole area of STDs is that it, it's still really shown as something that's just niche, as you guys were saying, with sex workers or with sex positive communities. But it's a problem for everybody. I just wanted to add an interesting aside about this, that in Sweden, I don't know if this is still the case, but I know from our good Swedish friend, because chlamydia is really common. And mm-hmm. so that actually when you go and get tested, then you have to give the state the names the name. of people you've slept with and they call them up. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh I'll double check because it was so widespread. And then it's also supposed to be this way of protecting you from having to make yeah. the call. And so you get a call from the Gesundheits. That's the deluxe call. Funny you say that because I actually got a text on my work phone saying, hi, someone has put your name down who has the STI. And, they want, and so can you do a text? And I just, of course, if I see a link on a text message, I think it's spam. So I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And then finally, I just did my own test because I know you've been talking about how expensive it is in Germany to get such a health, but in the UK, it's free. But we can talk about that later. Mm. So I just like did my own test anyway and I was clear. But then I, I got a few email, a few texts back from the same thing. So finally I did open it to say that I don't have it because I realized it could be another system in place where people can give your number anonymously. So I think that does exist. Maybe. Yeah, so in, I was yeah. really shocked when I moved from London where the STI testing was free, mm-hmm. always felt very comfortable, specialized services for various groups of people, trans people, sex workers, all have different kind of tailored healthcare in a way. And then, you know, you're going to this clinic and it will be at a general sexual health clinic, but a certain time. So like sex workers on this day from this mm. time to this time. In Germany, I was really shocked, especially for a city like Berlin, which is so much about being the capital of vice that it has no... I mean, there are places you can go. More of it is is for men who have sex with men. Like That was also a result of coming out of all of the campaigning around the AIDS crisis. So there's a lot more of those resources for men. I've definitely been to some of those, but then they'll see like five people in a day. So you literally have to get there an hour before. It's just a shockingly low intake that they have, I guess. So there are places also sex workers tend to share between themselves certain doctors that are sex work friendly, certain places mm-hmm. to go. So I think there are community ways 
ways in which we kind of inform each other and manage these things. It's basically self-organized sharing information. In order to get the Huren Pass, the Hor's ID to legally work in Germany, you have to go to the Gesundheitsamt and do a mandatory health counseling. So it's like they will not give you STI checks, but they will go and you have to talk to a social worker or somebody from the Gesundheit, the health uh, authorities about sexual health. They don't test you there during this They don't assessment? test you. It's a counseling. Why? They're just, and Sorry. they all know, luckily in Berlin, I don't know how it is in other parts of Germany, but in Berlin, most of the Gesundheitsamt authorities were very against this. This is a new law since 2017. Mm. So they were like, mm-hmm. they Ridiculous. tend to be like, okay, I know you know all of this and chat for a couple minutes and then send you away. That's yeah. where you get the prostitute's ID card. So you have one version in with the your legal name and then one version with your work name. And you're supposed to leave the legal name at home and then take the work name one out with you right. when you work. And you have to do a health counseling. And then you also have to do a counsel, like a general counseling to show that you're working willingly. Okay, you can't pass it. Then what, you, you lose your livelihood to work? Well, that's the thing with any kind of regulation. It just makes whoever can't jump through the hoops or can't do it either because they don't have the Anmeldung to live and work in Germany or they don't speak German yeah. or whatever, then they are working illegally. So they're even more at risk. So it's actually called the prostitution protection law, but yeah. it does nothing but. And it's under discussion now in Germany. So we'll see what mm. happens. So there is a city department where you can go for testing. I forget what it's called. It's some really long, obnoxious word with lots of letters. But when you go there as well, you can't just go and say any tests. You also have to do a 25 minute talk with a social worker. And then they will give you the test, ask you what you want. They'll determine what you want or what you will get from them on the test. And I think you just paid a small fee. But back to the thing for the services that help. So for men who have sex with men, they're not part of the system. They're also organizations working their asses off just to get people in there and get them tested. So they're also kind of cheating the system because when you go in for your test, they don't ask you, have you got symptoms? They give you the test, but that means their doctors are signing forms to say XYZ came in and they had all the symptoms and they're subsidized through through their own charity work and fundraising that they can actually offer the services mm-hmm. to people with no money. You don't have to do counseling unless it's your first HIV test where I think globally you have to talk to someone for a, a while about why you're doing it. So even these services for men are not just are not just there. They're not to be taken for granted. So the system itself does not allow for just testing of anyone or anyone who wants to come in. And this is a huge problem because women can go to Mm. gynecologists. A lot of gynecologists will charge them. They won't just say, hey, they they have symptoms. Then men have to go to a urologist. You will lock an appointment. You can if you have symptoms, you can go to a dermatologist, but you have to have symptoms. You can go to a GP and pay somewhere between 150 and 350 euros. That's like per test, wow. right? If you do 350, you'll have everything. And that's the top end. But like HIV, chlamydia is around 150 for yeah. the I've never paid 300, actually, I gotta say. I got to the, like chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, HIV. I think it was all uh, 150. No, I think I think that was just the 350 is just the ceiling. I think, you know, you know, if anyone listening to this is really confused about what we're saying, mm. this is the system. It's extraordinarily confusing, which is really insane because of the rep that Berlin has and the lives that we're living here. I think for me, one of the, the hardest parts about it is if you think about what we're willing to do to go in and get tested because we're aware and conscious and we want to stay healthy, is that people, again, going back to the people who think they're not that active, it's very, it's very hard for, say, a straight man who doesn't have sex very often they won't go and get tested. They will not jump through these yeah. hoops. I definitely remember a couple of sex parties where after, you know, a couple of days after the party, there was someone who called and basically be like, okay, I've I've been tested positive for gonorrhea. So everyone from the party would then have to go. And I think in that case where there's this 
suspicion, even if you don't have symptoms, they just went to the clinics and could just do it. So if they're being exposed. I think so, yeah. You said that once where I said I had been exposed and then they gave me, yeah, they gave me antibiotics straight away. So there are, but it's like everything in Germany. There's like little ways you can try to get yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. And you will find little loopholes all the time because it's just this bureaucratic hell. I don't even, I went to, I remember I went to San Francisco once and I was, I had a condom break and I was having anal sex in some random club in San Francisco. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get PEP, like the post-exposure prophylaxis. It seemed like a sensible thing to do and just went into, I can't remember whatever organization it was. And I don't have US health insurance, anything. And they were just like, oh, okay. And gave me that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. But I think it's interesting how that depends so much on the community organizing, as we were saying, that's happening around these things. Mm -hmm. When I was reading a, a bit about the AIDS crisis in Germany, all of that was government funded. So it's interesting in a way because in the States where people really had to fight so hard for these things because it, there wasn't much government support for all of these services, then you have these really on top of it like, community mm-hmm. initiatives sometimes. And mm-hmm. then in Germany, you get all of these benefits from being under this huge blanket of the state in a way. But then it also means that it has these really regressive sides that just don't move. Like I went, there's one great there, practice that's what? opened up recently in Schöneberg yeah. and it's open to everyone. And by everyone, I mean, in this case, I mean, it's even open to sort of straight people who are text positive who just has some kind of a test and you go in and when you're talking to the doctors in there it's like oh what would you like to get tested for blah blah and they're just they're just ticking all the boxes and then they say have you got symptoms and you say no and then the last time I was there I, I, I think I just didn't answer it and she said oh I think you do is your throat sore I think I think your throat sore yeah bye and then I could get all the tests but she needed to tick that box as you were saying yeah, it's just ridiculous it's like a little a little game to get around the, mm-hmm. around the law so in the UK you can go to clinics and get such a health test for free but also what they're really trying to push particularly after the pandemic is home tests where you get a free home test you just have to sign up it's in association with the NHS and yeah, you get a little box and I get a throat swab, an anal swab and a vaginal swab and a little vial to take my blood. And for the longest time, like I really struggled because you have to prick your own finger, take out the blood like you're suckling a cow teeth. So I couldn't do it for a long time, but now I've perfected it. I think and we can put a, we can put a picture of this up on our Insta when this episode comes out. Maybe we're just trying to get some guy to do it for you. I did have this guy who I think is a nurse or a doctor, and I wanted to invite him over to do it for me. And I was kind of trying to make it sexy, but mainly <laughs> because I hate doing it myself. But then I'm like, I don't need no man. I've done it successfully twice. But the point is, I can order one of those home tests once a week, once a month, and you just get text and you open the text and it gives you results come to the UK and get some of these home tests. Some private companies have started doing it here and they're not that expensive. I think it's just so good. It's such a good initiative. If there's nothing new going on, how often would you guys get tested? I would do it every two months. What about you? Basically, I have to admit to just like doing, do you know the teenager thing? Where I think in the last five years, I only got tested every time I had unsafe sex with someone. Yeah. Since the last time she did my partner. Without a condom. Oh, wow. There's a whole, whole new episode coming here. I don't know my status. I'm afraid to do you think people over-test, though, at the same time? And I also think some of that is based on, oh, I have to get tested all the time. It's this fear of, I grew up in the States where, like, yeah. especially around HIV, it was like this real fear of almost still abstinence education of just like, don't have sex. And if you get to have sex, it's this slippery slope to like... Whatever. Mm. I wanted to mention something we talked earlier about stigma and also about the use of the STI versus STB. A similar kind of thing with language is like when someone might say, yeah, I've just been tested and I'm clean. And the very very use of the word clean suggests that if I 
if I do have an STI, make them dirty. So if someone does use it, that language with me or a fan of me, I often correct them. And I think I do that. I think I can. <laughs> yeah. We were talking before the show. I'm, I'm really bad with saying the right thing. I don't know. People mm. might take it personally or make it, you know, just has connotations, you know. I think I've been tested. I've been tested four times this year for everything. Yet, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, like, it's not to play things down, but regular testing's super important. Uh, I was with someone last year. She had me very active. We kind of met up. Um, I don't know what she'd be going through, but... She just got on apps. We connect on the apps, met in the bar. And she's like, yeah, let's, we're going to go home. We're going to fuck tonight. I haven't been with anyone in such a long time. I can't remember why. Went back to her place. She didn't want to use condoms. She just completely wild the whole night. And then came to my place the next day or the day after that. And we were together again. It was completely... Again well, without condoms. I again guess. without condoms. Wild afternoon. Because once you, once you didn't use it, it's the point. She said she was <laughs> on her period. And she was on the field. I don't know. I don't know what was happening, but that's the way it happened. Yeah, very naughty. Shouldn't have happened. That's hot. It was hot until the next day I got a phone call saying she had pain and she was in terrible pain. And I must have... I gave her something. What did I have? Uh, Why did I give it this? And yeah, well, it was, it was, I think it was three days after the first night, but it was the day after the second one. I was like, I don't think I have anything, but fine. I can go get tested. What symptoms have you got? I think it's a few more days than that. I can't incubate and be infectious after that. She was like, no, it has to be you. It can't be from anyone else. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go this evening. So I went to one of these places and these great places in Schöneberg where I could get tested. And I just got tested for sort of, you know, uh, gonorrhea, syphilis and whatever the easy, the, ba- the baby ones are, chlamydia here. Yeah. Mm. And of course I didn't, I didn't have them. And I got back onto her and she was like, can I call the place? Can I go there? And I was like, you just have one way. She still hadn't got her test results back, but she was so convinced by the idea that it couldn't have been her, that it must have been me. Mm-hmm. And she got really, yeah, it got really bad. In the end, I just said, listen, Please trust me. I haven't got the. I haven't got anything or none of these things. I probably didn't cause this. You should just wait for your results and talk to the doctor. And then I had to block her because she kept calling and calling and calling. I mean, there was some other issues going on there, city. Again, someone just who hadn't had that much activity and just became mm-hmm. convinced of the idea that it must have been the other person. And I presume it was something like I think some of these HPV viruses can just kick off these infections mm. really quickly. Maybe it's a, a UTI or I, I don't know. There's all these other things. Yeah, it could be actually. Yeah. It sounds like a UTI, right? Days of ravaging. Like. I think it's just shitty to approach someone with this you gave it to me perspective, whatever is oh, going on. Like, awful. It, you know, you're all, you're both engaging in this activity. Also, if people aren't using condoms, that's their decision. That's you, a big straight gay straight divide, right? In Berlin, especially like all of my gay friends also in work would be like, I cannot do, I cannot uh, work with condoms. Whereas with more straight sex work, this is pretty common. Not, or very common. I mean, I would say. So you use condom. Yeah, it's pro- it's more the yeah. norm. Whereas then yeah. for gay sex workers, I know it's like really tasked if you want to do that. Yeah. So a friend over the weekend told me that he knows someone who's a gay sex worker and who probably says he's never used a condom in his life. But I think, again, that's the risk assessment that you make with like, or if you do have HIV, which I think is also something that a lot of non-sexually active people might not know, is that if you are on antiretroviral medication for HIV, then you're also, your viral load is so low that you're not infectious. Yeah. Yeah, you're not infectious, which I think is something sometimes I tell people who have no idea that and they're really shocked. So yeah. that might be another important fact. Okay, we discussed at the very beginning, we're talking about your herpes. What was the worst okay. STI infection that you ever had? Just herpes for sure. Herpes. It was the most painful thing. I thought I couldn't sit down. I had to go home and like have a bath for ages. And my dad was like, what's going on? After I had it on my vagina, years later, another boyfriend had it on his lip. And then I had, yeah. had, I had like popped a pimple and it took over my chin. It was so wild. I didn't know what was happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think because it 
could normally wouldn't get into skin mm. like unless it's the lips or whatever. It was massive. It was so crazy. Yeah. I went to the hospital and, they t- and it was herpes, but it was mm. just like, wow, this virus is yeah. intense. Herpes was the only uh, STI that I've actually had in all my years. Oh, wow. I've had gonorrhea, chlamydia, herpes. Maybe a fun fact to end on if I think we're out of time was that this was actually, I think you mentioned how it was such a big influence on European culture. You can actually do like a whole art history of syphilis and look at how depictions of it are in a lot of paintings. And all across Europe, apparently in the 17th and 18th century, people would wear these, they were called mouche, which is the French for fly, and they were beauty marks. So they would be like little beauty marks that you'd put on your face. People would keep in boxes and they would be star-shaped or heart-shaped. And and apparently sex workers would use those too to communicate different things. So like, or women in general. So like it could be if it's on your left cheek, a heart, then you're engaged or on the nose is playful or on the corner of the mouth is sort of impish and sexy. So I kind of like that. That's, that's how, beautiful. They yeah. should bring that back. That would bring be so back useful. the mouche. Yeah, this is also a type that it was like smallpox and syphilis scars, but people were also wearing these like really intense arsenic and lead campaign containing white makeup. So mm. I think they were just kind oh of my God, annihilating yeah. their faces. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think for years they thought that the only cure to syphilis or some of the phases was to take mercury. So they had the whole thing of putting mercury in the tips of their of oh. caps. The Mad Hatter, exactly. Yeah. The people Wait, what would happen? What would happen? Because if you if you take if you sort of seeping slowly seeping mercury into your brain, you go yeah. completely bonkers. It basically eats your brain. So Mad Hatter and Alice in Wonderland is this crazy character with through your hats you got the mercury and you you eventually went there was also like tablet calomel tablets which i think were mercury containing there was a, all of this all of the treatments which people would also be administered to in locked wards forcibly were really gruesome for gonorrhea also gonorrhea was a big one in the early 20th century well the whole tradition um, back then was then you're supposed to feel part of the pain in order to burn it out of you so the treatment was also a moral part of the thing mm-hmm. which i i want to say in germany there's still when they test you on your penis for i think it's gonorrhea they're still putting the swab down the shaft. Sounds you know, like sounding to me. It's sounding. And on yeah. the self-test, self you don't have to do this anymore. I know if no, you're going to say, oh, you guys, you guys just don't want any stuff near you. We women have to go through this, this, this. I don't like it and I hate it. And I'm pretty sure it's like a moral thing here. But then don't Germans also like put paracetamol up their butt? So maybe they just want to insert stuff. <laughs> That's another episode. It all comes back to fluid. Who and you? And now mercury. It's all happening. You've been listening to Crude. You've heard our favorite STIs. You've heard why you shouldn't call them STDs. I didn't really have one. I didn't discuss that, right? We're waiting for you. We're going to wait for you to get that test back from your bareback cheating experience. We can maybe do that one live. We should have a whole episode on raw dogging. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's my biggest advice, actually. On that wonderful note, have a great week. Raw dog away. (laughs) And we'll hear you soon. You've been listening to Crude. Bye. Bye. Just been listening to Crude. If you'd like to join the conversation, follow us on Insta, Crude underscore podcast, C R U D E underscore podcast, or email us on crude.berlin at gmail.com.